Ron and Anian. There's no car out there that can't be fixed. It just takes some thought. Thank God for American cars. Every little thing you do. The Car Doctor. Where the boots open and the grease is contaminated and all that grit's already, road grit is inside the joint. You know, the damage is done. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian. The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Nini and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Again, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number, 855-560-9900. Why is it 24-7? Because you can call that number anytime, day or night. Leave a message. If we're not on the air, we're live 2 to 4 p.m. Saturday afternoons, East Coast time. But you can call the aforementioned 855-560-9900. Leave a message. And executive producer Tom Ray will call you back and get you in the queue for the next live show. And that's what we want to do. We want to talk to you up here on air about your car and its problems and educate everybody as we continue to try and fix all the broken cars in America today. We want to welcome a new affiliate to the Car Doctor family before we kick off this hour. Yep, that's right. We just keep growing. I don't know. The sky's the limit. 1590 WPSL, Point St. Lucie, Port St. Lucie, Florida. Um, they actually wanted us to come down there and do a live remote, but I said, no, Tom Ray in a bathing suit probably really wouldn't be a great thing, so I turned him down. I said, there's no way we're doing that. Uh, I've seen Tom's legs before. You know I'm a chick magnet. Uh, well, yeah, you're a chick magnet, all right. They see you and they repel. They just, the other direction, it's, you know, pol- polarization in the other direction. But uh, anyway, we welcome 1590 WPSL, Port St. Lucie. Uh, Florida, we uh, thank them for taking the show and uh, helping us spread the cause, and uh, we'll do our best. We absolutely will. Let's kick the garage doors open. Let's get over to, uh, let's go to Melvin in Baltimore and uh, see what's going on here. Melvin, 03 Honda Civic, overheating. Was that you on the side of the road Sunday, Memorial Day weekend that I saw out by the, out by the no, White, White Marsh uh, Highway, White Marsh Mall? No, it wasn't me. Just checking. Yeah, but I'm having a having a problem. No, uh, my cooling is going over to the reserve, but it's not coming back, and the reserve is filling up. Okay. But everything works. The heat works. You know, what I'm saying the air works. Do the cooling fans come on, Melvin? Yeah, when I turn my AC on, it comes on. Um, at, uh, and when it, I guess, you know what I'm saying, when the engine get up the temperature, they kicks on for you know, what I mean, a few seconds, and then it go, it goes off. So, give me the scenario. Is it you, you start out first thing in the morning? You're driving down the road cold. Is it that you know after ten fifteen minutes it just starts to boil over and overheat? Do you physically see steam? Does the gauge pin? No. Give me the give me the you know no. exactly. How do you know it's overheating? Uh, because the temperature gauge go up. Oh. Stop going up towards the um, the high. Okay, so the temperature gauge does go up when you when yeah. you. You know, and I don't want you to lift the hood when it's hot. I always have a concern about lifting a hot hood on a hot car that's overheating. We already know it's overheating. But if you were, have you have you felt the upper and lower radiator hoses? Is is, is one hot, one cold? Uh, the upper one is usually the hottest. Okay, how hot no. is hot? Uncomfortable yeah. to hold. Yeah, once I yeah once I put my hand on it, I see it going up. Yeah, it's uncomfortable to hold, but the um, lower one is not me. I can hold it. Okay, 
And right, the lower one you can hold. It's it's cool or warm to the touch. Right. What what sort right. of repairs have been tried already? Uh, I tried. Uh, I changed the thermostat. Okay. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. I, mean, I was thinking about uh, the sensor right next to the thermostat. Well, yeah, right. The, the 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 you know the cooling fan temp switch on the thermostat housing is a common failure also. All right. Right. Uh, we know the cooling fan runs. What you could try. All right. We could do this a couple of ways. Do you have access to a scan tool of any kind? Uh, no. Uh -uh. All right. So let's 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 do this old school simple. If you just let the car sit there and idle, when the temperature gauge gets roughly halfway up the scale, does the fan come on and stay on by itself without air conditioning? Forget air conditioning for a minute. No, uh-uh. No. So, uh -uh. so you don't see the fans run unless you turn on the AC? No, uh-uh. I see the fans run, you know what I mean, because I uh, turn the car on and it idles. Like you said, it idles. You know what I'm saying? They click on, you know what I'm saying, for a couple, uh, you know, probably for about a half a minute or so or less, and then they're cut off. Right, you know, but if you usually I can drive for I can drive for like almost two hours before anything start happening because like I say, the cooling is going into the reserve, but it's not going back through the system. Right, you know, but, I, you know, but hear, hear me out a second, Melvin. If you let the car, okay. if you start the car up and let it idle, will mm -hmm. will will the car overheat sitting there? Will the temperature gauge go up and overheat sitting there? Uh, probably about that. If I let it run like that for um. For uh, probably like an hour, hour and a half, just let it run it like that. In that hour, in that hour time period, does the cooling fan come on? Yes, uh, it clicks on. Does it? You know does I mean? it come it on and, on and off. does it come on and stay on when the temperature gauge gets over mm -hmm. half scale? Does the cooling fan come on and stay on? No. Okay. No, no, so the so no, the first problem no. is you're seeing the fans cycle, but you're not seeing them stay on when you need it the most when the engine's hot. Right. 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 Okay. When when it overheats, even with the new thermostat, is one hose hot and the other hose cold? Uh, I haven't. You know what I mean? Because like I haven't really been driving it. You know what I'm saying? Fall. Right, you know but but so it, here's you what you got to do. Please. Then let's then let's baseline okay. this. All right, let's let's baseline okay. this. All right, step one, start the car. Well, step one, take the radiator cap off when the engine's cold. Make sure it's got enough coolant in it. All right, I want to just mention that there is a near bleed procedure for that engine when you do a thermostat, and you need to do that if you haven't done so already. You'll find it in a service manual. There's a bleeder on the engine. There should be, or you're going to use a coolant overflow funnel and burp it that way. That's number one. Number two, proper coolant level. Number three, run the car till the car warms up. Temperature gauge gets to half or, or slightly two-thirds scale. That's approximately where the fan's going to come on. When the engine's warm, if you've got good circulation, if the stat's open, it's not airbound, upper hose will be hot or painful to the touch. One of them's going to be hot to the touch. The other one's going to be cold. It's usually the upper, is, the upper is the warm one. All right? As long as you've got good circulation, we can eliminate a radiator as a potential issue. And the fact that this happens sitting there at idle... And we don't get proper, it sounds like we're not getting proper fan operation. Let's go chase the cooling fan. Unplug the coolant temperature switch on the thermostat housing. Put a jumper between the green wire on the switch and the black ground wire. The fan should run. If the fan runs, 
then you want to try and figure out, you've got to sort of make sure, is the radiator not restricted? And where is engine temperature? This is where you're going to need a scan tool or some way to measure temp. The temp sensor has to be 194 degrees, and that's when it turns the fan on. So at that point, if you have no tools, maybe the cheapest guess is a temp switch. Best guess. Make sure you buy a good quality part. Make sure you get it from a reliable source. If you've got an O'Reilly Auto Parts by you, stick your head in the door and say, hey, here's what I got, here's what I need, what do you have that works, and you can probably find more information out online at O'ReillyAuto.com. Do it that way, and then at least we're going in a logical order. But be careful how you think of this. Don't think, well, it's two hours and the coolant flows this way and that way. No, 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 no. Let's get the fan to work. The fan should be able to control that temperature unless, A, the fan's bad, or B, the thermostat's an issue. And this is on the assumption we don't have other cooling system problems, such as, A, a head gasket. But uh, I want to get through the fan cycling first, one step at a time, before we have to get into the hardcore stuff. Do that this week. Call me back next week, and we can talk about it and go from there. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming right back. Don't go away. Write it on the wall so you don't forget to call for car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Let's go over to Steve Cook, my brother from another mother out in Cincinnati. Steve, how are you today? All right. How are you doing, buddy? All right, sir. What's going on? Oh, not much. I just, uh, just thought I'd give you a call. Um, you've probably noticed this, and I've, I've been noticing this a whole lot around here. You, you, you're driving down the road, and you look over at the person next to you, and what do you see in the passenger compartment there is in the, in the passenger side? You see someone kick back with their feet up on the dash, or you see them hanging outside the window, or even the driver with their feet hanging outside the window, you know. And uh, I just wanted to let people know that's a really, really, really bad idea. Well, and it's it's um, bad on a lot of fronts, right, Steve? If, if it's an airbag car, you're gonna blow your you're gonna blow your ankles off if if you get into a collision. If you're if you're not wearing your knees and your eye sockets, and if it's not an yeah. airbag car, you're gonna be wearing your knees and your eye sockets anyway because you know it's not how they intend you to ride in a seat, right? Right. What I was gonna say is 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 as you mentioned, you know, when they engineered restraint systems on these vehicles. They're, res- they're designed to work with you sitting in a certain position. If you recline that front seat and you got your feet up on that dashboard and you're involved in an accident, your body is going to try it's going to try to slide underneath that seat belt, number one. So if you've got a shoulder strap on you, you're probably going to start hanging yourself. And as you're sliding underneath there, like you said, that airbag goes off, it's going to shove your legs right back into your face. And it's going to hurt you big time. Oh yeah, if it doesn't kill you. Uh, yeah, we we've we've seen a couple of accidents around here like that, and it is really, really not pretty. It's just it, it it's just not a good idea to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. You know, years ago, and I've told this story before on air, so I'll tell it quickly. Is I attended a state police traffic safety function, and they had this 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 trailer like device that they towed around from event to event. It was called the Believer, if I remember right. This is a while. This is 30 years ago, 25 years ago. 
and you sat in this chair on a slight incline, and they strapped you in, and it duplicated the an impact in a vehicle at, I think, 7 or 10 miles an hour. The amount of force that you display onto those seatbelt straps at 10 miles an hour is, is um, I actually had little black and blue marks that, that formed the next day. So they said, now imagine that at 50 and 60 miles an hour, and imagine if you weren't strapped in where you would end up, and that's what the seatbelt is supposed to do. So they designed cars, you're absolutely right, they designed the safety element of cars to one specific direction. This is how it's supposed to work, and when it doesn't, um, it's, it's, it's a real big issue. So, uh, But, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Steve. Um, absolutely, we appreciate yeah, your input. So, hey, let me ask you real quick before I let you go. How are book, how are book sales going? You know, I should tell everybody who this is. This is uh, Steve Cook, author of OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. How, how are book sales doing, Stephen? Uh, they're doing okay. They could probably be a little bit better, but yeah. you know, it's it's coming along. Yeah. How long so, did it take? How long did it take you to write that book? About two years. <laughs> yeah. And how long? Yeah, it took about two years. Well, I was thinking. Ahead, I, I was thinking it took you how long you are as, as as a technician and now an instructor, right? How many years you you're in the field? Oh, that's that's thirty years, right? So you know, the book really took thirty years to write, just two to put it on paper. So you got to you got to think of it like that. There's a lot of good information in that book. There really is. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 just amazing. I think you did a great job, and your daughter did a wonderful job illustrating it. That's up online, right, Steve? Amazon. Okay. Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's also you can get it on uh, eBay as well. Okay. You know, either place. So, but uh, you know, I I appreciate you uh, giving some of those copies away to uh, to your oh. listeners and stuff you, you, too. You know what? They gobbled it up like a sponge in water, and uh, you know it's clear because it's it's well, the, it's the quality of the information, brother. We're always glad to help the cause. So. Um, well, maybe we can go ahead and. Get a few more to you sometime in the future. Yeah, you should. We yeah. should actually do an interview, which is what we really wanted to do. So you should really talk to Tom. We could talk a little bit about the book, maybe take some chapters and excerpts and cover it. But we're always glad to, you know, Steve, we're always glad to help extend the education of, of, of the motoring public and the technicians that are out there. Because um, we learn from them, yeah. they learn from us. It's, a, it's 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 always an equal exchange of information. So, uh, by all means, listen. Let me oh, run. Yeah. Phones are backed up, but as always, good to hear from your brother. And whatever we can do to help you, let us know. All right. All right. Sounds good. You T- take care now. You too. Bye bye. Let's go over to Wayne in Delaware. Wayne, Ron and Andy in the car doctor at your service, sir. How can I help? Yes, sir. Uh, this is Wayne from Millsboro, Delaware. I have a question. I have a 2005 uh, Crossfire. Okay. Chrysler Crossfire. Right. Purchased it a couple months ago. Took it in for front end alignment. Both front coil springs, the last four inches on both sides of the springs were broken off. Was there a recall on any of the coil springs on the crossfires? Um, there was on some of the Chryslers. I don't recall the crossfires offhand, but then they weren't such a mass-produced car that I don't know that it would generate a recall on its own. What you could do is you could take the VIN, you can take the serial number, the 17-digit serial number found on the vehicle registration, and go out yes, go out to NHTSA, nhtsa.gov, National Highway right. Traffic Safety Authority.gov, and they have a section there where you can plug in your 17-digit VIN. And it will tell you any open recalls on the vehicle, any pending investigations, and so on. The government has actually stepped up its game in the last two years 
and made it very consumer-oriented in the sense that they're trying to get the word out before it becomes a bigger issue. Uh, you know, after the Toyota acceleration debacle, after some of the other recalls, the airbag, the Takata airbag recall that's gone on in recent years. That's why if you go back, and I, f I forget the numbers, but I think it was, and I'm going to guess here, I don't remember exactly, $3,000 a vehicle for a recall fine to the car companies. It's now 30000 It's some, they, 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 you know, ex exceeded the fine or raised the fine level by 10 times, whatever the number was. So now it's very, very, very costly for car companies to get recalled or to get fined for a recall that should have happened. And uh, they've really right. stepped up their game. Um, but NHTSA... Well, they, it, they, they tell me that there was no recalls on the 2005. And, uh, but it just, it's amazing that both of them broke in the same increments on each side right. and uh it was unbelievable well and keep in mind part of the reason why that you know you know a crossfire is a low volume car right they didn't they didn't sell that yeah. many of them and and the issue there becomes that depending upon how many sold you know it's it's a numbers game um you know it's a numbers game how many do they sell how many will they sell and, you know, it's – listen, the other thing you have to think about with that car is be glad you can still get parts for it. It's now 15 years old, and, uh, you know, that becomes an issue. So, you know, but um, uh, that's part of the problem, too, on buying a low-production car like that. Keep an eye on NHTSA, Wayne. You never know when that might appear. And uh, for everyone else out there, if you're like Wayne from Delaware, keep in mind, if you've got an older car, you're looking for parts, you got a newer car, Omnicraft, all right? Omnicraft does represent – um, uh, parts now as far as being able to get parts and um, they, they, they allow you to uh, um, you know purchase parts and uh, parts coverage for older vehicles and this segment of the car doctor is brought to you by Omnicraft you'll find more out online at um, uh, Omnicraft.com you can uh, keep in mind that if you're looking for uh, good quality aftermarket parts uh, from a reliable source think Omnicraft now Omnicraft complements the Motocraft and Ford, ports Ford parts line of replacement parts by providing part solution for most makes and models a trusted relationship just got better between you and your parts supplier I'm Ron Annie in the car doctor we're back right after this Back, running into the car doctor here. Let's get over and talk to Douglas in Nebraska, 07 Honda. Hey, Douglas, how can I help you, sir? Well, Ron, I had my mechanic at work brought in its 2007 2.4, and while he had it idling, he knew the timing chain because it threw the code for the cam sensor. Okay, and it it quit while it was idling. So he went ahead, he's a really good mechanic, he went ahead and put the timing chain on and found out that idling in the bay, it, it bent the valves. Okay. So now I bought the car from the employee of ours, and I'm wondering if I can take the head off without taking the timing cover off. You know, take the gears off the cams. I know I got to slide them ahead, take the cams out. There's one bolt that goes to the uh, chain guide that I know I can get at. 
Uh, I'm just wondering if I can get that. Yeah, camera what you, what you want to do is out. you you want to pull the head the way we used to old school pull some of the old Ford dual overhead cam motors and and where we where we wired the sprocket well, like to the chain. The, the Cobalt, the Chevy. Right. You take the head off that four cylinder without. Right. Because I know he did the t- the guy's really he did the timing chain correct everything's right right it's just a, it was just a coincidence that it bent them damn valves sitting there idling right yeah and I mean I, I mean, got I bought all the new valves got everything I needed to do the deal and I'm just wondering because he goes I don't know I just glued that on you might have a hell of a time getting that time cover off well how are you gonna how are you I'm gonna, gonna try it how are you gonna how are you gonna lock the tensioner in place Douglas. There's a access hole in the front cover right. where I can pull it back and, and put, put a, a pin, pin in there. Right. Okay. As long as you're and aware I'm of that. I'm thinking I could take the take the take the two cams off and pull them out of the gears. Right. Because I know the variable timing cam sticks out quite a ways, so I get the cams out. Here's and then the only thing is to get that seal off that goes to the. Uh, Variable valve timing thing, gizmo, and, 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 which and, is just glue. Right. And here's what you have to think of. You have to think of it like this. The car is already broken. You can't break it any more than it is, brother. So just just common sense. Just you know, tie the sprockets to the chains, lock the tensioner, get everything up out of the way. You know, Once you open up that cover, if you can somehow stuff a rag or, or a clean shop towel underneath the sprockets so nothing falls down into the motor, Right, just Correct. from the sounds of it, you've been doing this. Well, so you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah. for everyone else's benefit, that yeah, why not? I I can't say I've ever seen it done that way, but I get why you would want to, and it it makes sense to me. You know, as long as you know that he's a trusted source, and I mean, listen, you can also just for giggles before you go through all this, just you know, line up the cam marks, make sure everything is on correctly. Um, not doubting Correct. your mechanic, not doubting you know he he could be Indy, he could be Parnelli Jones, but you know everybody makes mistakes. Well, it's, a, it's a it's a new system, so it has them colored gears. I can put it on the marks. Right, put it on the marks you know. and see if everything lines up. If it does, colored have, on the chain. Have at it. You know, I've I've listened to you for quite a while, and I'm trying to get him to listen to you. I mean, I'm a, I'm six years old, and anybody wants to work on a carburetor, they come to me. Whatever. But uh, this guy's a college-educated uh, tech dude, and uh, he's been with us for probably six or seven years, and I'm really impressed with him, and I want him to start listening to you because he doesn't just put on what the engine code tells him to put on. He makes sure that it is what it is. He's a thinker. And I'm proud of the guy. Yeah, but he's a my life has been alignments on semis and cars and trucks and... Like today, I had a Volvo that feathered one drive axle one way, feathered the other drive axle the other way, feathered the steer tires in and inside and out. Took me two hours, but I had to crack the rear. It was like a foot and a half off on the rear ends. And, you know, you get something like that. You get in it to drive it in your bay, and it runs to run into the curb within five feet. And you get that thing done, and drive straight as an arrow i mean there's no nothing more pleasurable than that yeah oh well listen that's listen man that's you know that's that's the career of working on cars right i was talking to dominic yesterday dominic's a regular customer at the shop and he he owns an 07 subaru and he purchased this car used unfortunately he's had a 
bad run of luck. He had a 2013 Subaru that was going through a quart of oil every five or 600 miles. He got rid of that. He, he, he purchased this 07 Subaru that now goes through a quart of oil every 400 miles, or he goes through three quarts and 3,000 miles, whichever way it comes out to be. Uh, depends on the day of the week, he said. And in the conversation with Dominic, we were talking about working on cars. And I'm not sure what exactly he does. I think he's a medical technician or a medical technician repair person, something along those lines. And if you're listening, Dom, hi. Um, but he, he brought up a point. He says, it must be so exciting to work with your hands every day. And I said, you know, absolutely so. I said, there's something really rewarding, even after 40-something years, that you get to work with your hands and fix something that nobody else can fix or nobody else wants to fix, or just you get the opportunity to do it. Dominic Subaru had 140,000 miles on, and it needed front-end work. They sold it to him as a used car. It needed front-end work. But to get everything apart, I had to carefully heat everything so as not to ruin the cast and then re-thread and tap and, you know, quite a little bit of tedious work. And um, you know what? At the end of the day, there's nothing like fixing a car to make yourself feel good, and I would much rather take that. And I just had this conversation with my wife that I'd still... I still like fixing cars, and I couldn't take sitting at a desk, man. Um, I'd, I'd just go out of my mind. I appreciate the call, Douglas, and uh, by all means, give it a shot. Try it that way, and uh, let us know how you work out, and um, you know, we'll, we'll be, we're glad to talk to you, and if there's anything else we can do for you in the future, you let us know. Hey, this segment of The Car Doctor was brought to you by the Professional Service Network by the folks over at Ford. The Ford Professional Service Network is a program that's offered to independent automotive repair and service locations that purchase and install Ford Motorcraft and Omnicraft parts. And I want you to keep in mind, if you're out there as a mechanical shop, Douglas, you may want to consider this. PSN provides very unique benefits and rewards, including technical training, a resource library, because we all know we need more information, right? Good good gosh, we, we, we always need more information. They give you the ability to look at promotional merchandise, product rebates, growth incentives. They help you as an independent repair shop. So you can find out more about PSN, the PSN network from the folks over at Ford, the Ford Professional Service Network, over at FordPSN.com. You can register today and uh, sign on and uh, hey listen we all need good parts we all need good information and that's what the Ford Professional Service Network provides you can find more like I said at FordPSN.com I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor we're back right after this welcome back Ron Annie and the Car Doctor let's get over and talk to Holly in Michigan Holly welcome to the Car Doctor my name is Holly. I'm from Charlotte, Michigan. I have a 2018 Honda Accord. It's only got 6,000 miles on it. Um, it has an issue where the oil smells like gas, and I have two questions. One, is there a fix for this? And then two, could this ever cause an oil drain plug to fall out? Can't cause an oil drain plug to fall out. Uh, the only way an oil drain plug is going to fall out is if it's not tightened properly. So has the oil drain plug fallen out is my question. Yes, I was driving, and I had gotten this car. I never got an oil change done on it, so it must have been done before I got it. I went 4,000 miles before the drain plug fell out. Okay, so, well, I would have to look back at the person that did the last oil change. That That's, uh, you, you know, for it to just loosen up like that. Um, when did you, what did you buy the car with, like, what, 2,000 miles on it, Holly? Yeah. All right. And buy it from a dealership? Yeah. Okay. It was, like, one of the loaner cars right. that Honda right. had. Right, So, I, I've got to think, I've, I've, I've got to go back to the guy that did the oil change. I mean, if it's, if it's torque to spec, drain plugs just don't fall out. 
Uh, liquid is, you know, okay. think, of it, think of it like this. Liquid is liquid. Not that I would recommend anybody do this, but if you filled the crankcase with water, you know, just because there's a different liquid in there, it's not going to make the drain plug fall out. It's going to obviously cause engine damage, but it's not going to make the drain plug fall out. So okay. w when the drain plug fell out, were they able to thread a new one in, you know, as far as, you know, the threads in the oil pan weren't destroyed or hurt? It was just something just unthreaded. Yeah, they were able to put it back in, and it was fine. Okay. So, and obviously a new drain plug because the old one got lost on the highway somewhere. Yeah. That that had to be quite a mess, I'm sure. Uh, just out of curiosity, how did you know the drain plug fell out? When the red light came on for the engine, or did you notice, notice the road, the stain on the road you were leaving behind? I got an emergency warning that the oil pressure was low, and it said to stop the engine. And you did. And then I checked the oil. There was, like, no oil. Ouch. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you listened to the to the dashboard. So, uh, back to the first question: gas in the oil. Yeah. What makes you think there's gas in the oil? Well, when I put the dipstick in there and I take it out, you know, it smells like gas. And even just not even doing that, but just opening up the cap, it smells like gas. Okay. It doesn't smell just like oil. How can I explain it? Um, on a feedback engine, all engines, anything with an oxygen sensor, so engines over the last 30 years, they have the ability to control, you know, computers have the ability to control the air-fuel mixture, right? So they, mm -hmm. they, they use something called an oxygen sensor, in, in simpler terms, there's other terms for it, but an oxygen sensor, it sniffs the, con the, the amount of oxygen content in the exhaust, and they adjust fuel trim accordingly, they adjust how to change the mixture accordingly. Fuel in the crankcase would skew that O2 sensor reading. It would change it. And it would change it to the point that the computer could no longer accurately and correctly control fuel trim. So if, if there truly was excess fuel or fuel in the crankcase period, in theory, on paper, you would get a check engine light. You would see you would see fault okay. codes, and you would see. So, regardless of what it smells like, you know, if you really believe there's fuel in the crankcase, and I'm not saying it's impossible. The only way it could happen is poor combustion. I'm sorry, the the piston rings aren't sealing properly in the engine, and they're allowing fuel charge to blow down and contaminate the oil. But you know, does the new oil still smell like fuel, or was that the old oil, or you don't smell it anymore, or you still do? I still do smell the gas. Okay. Car's under warranty? Yeah. It is. All right. Here's what, here's, here's what I want you to tell the service writer on Monday. All right? Okay. I want you to take it in, and, you know, is this, this is a Honda dealer you bought the car from, right? Yep. Okay. So, you know, you're going to take it in, and you're going to tell them, listen, remember me? I'm the oil drain plug lady, the drain plug fell out, and he'll go, yep, I remember you, and you'll have a good laugh about it, and say, listen, I'm being a little sensitive to this, and I just need you to look at this. You know, I checked the oil, and the oil smells like gas, and I'd like somebody okay. to check it, all right? Now, whether they send a mechanic out, and you, you kind of want it in writing, all right? You don't want this to be done off the cuff, all right? You, you, you want to ask them mm -hmm. to, you know, do a work order so that they physically check it. Um, you, what you want to tell them is your fuel, your fuel mileage is down, all right, and you're smelling fuel in the oil when you check the oil level, all right? That should generate a repair order. 
Let them do a repair order. Let them check it. They're probably going to come back and say there's nothing wrong with the car. That's fine. But you know what we just did? We documented it. And now it's on file. Because if for some okay. reason this is in the early stages of fuel contaminating the oil and 5,000 miles from now the engine fails, it's still under warranty. But if, if anything else happens on down the road, you've, you've notified Honda. Honda's been, you know, here's what it is. You've got it in writing. Don't lose that piece of paper. All right? But okay. Be, good. Because there's not a lot of ways for that to get fuel fouled or oil contaminated, you know, gasoline contaminated oil. There's not a lot of ways for that to happen, um, short of cataclysmic or pending cataclysmic engine damage. All right. Do that, and uh, okay. I think that'll get you what you need. All right, kiddo. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Holly. Good to have you today. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Ron Amy, the car doctor, back at your service. Um, real quick story before we go this hour. Um, you know, the, the, the insanity of auto repair, right? I, I, just, I, I, I just question what it's about sometimes. Had a Toyota Prius come into the shop this week. Check engine light was on. Check engine light's been on for a while. And I always find it interesting when a Prius, right, the planet-saving car, the, you know, doesn't run as much on gasoline as a could car, has a check engine light on that's been on for a while. Because, you know, let's face it, it's, it's a, a typical Prius owner is somebody that's into saving the environment. And I get that, and I respect that. And listen, I'm into the environment, too. I'm not saying I'm not. But to me, you know, driving a Prius kind of puts a bullseye on your back. You're saying, hey, I'm into saving the planet. I'm into saving gas and my carbon footprint and so on. And they've got bumper stickers on the back of the car, you know, um, uh, you know, the environment matters, women's rights matter, you know, uh, black lives matter, blue lives matter, everybody's lives matter. And I agree with all that. You know, a real spiritual, good karma kind of bumper sticker, okay? And you, you look at a car like that and you say, wow, here's somebody that, you know, they do recycling and it's clean air and windmills and all the other possible choices. Check engine lights on. And I get in the car, check engine lights on. And there's a piece of black electrical tape over the light next to it, which is for the tire pressure system. And I'm scratching my head. Well, we don't want to fix that. That's too expensive. Okay. And the right rear tire, by the way, because they think the TPMS system's broken. By the way, the right rear tire had 16 pounds of air in it. So they've been driving around for, for he said, three, four months with losing air slowly. They just got tired. Of, they put a piece of tape over it. So I diagnosed the check engine light. God's honest truth. I come back to him. I say, look... It needs X, Y, and Z. It's twelve to $1,500. What do you want to do? Oh, I don't want to spend that kind of money on the car. He says, can you just put another piece of tape over the light? And, you know, I don't get it. Are we... What's the point in trying to save the planet if we're not doing it on a 24-7 basis? And, and that's the point of this, all right? Listen, it's a mindset. Check engine lights on. I don't care what you're driving. Get it fixed. Don't put tape over it. It's not legal. It's not right. It's not moral. And it doesn't do the planet a whole lot of good. I'm Ron Anini in the car doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. You never